Well, hello everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode uh, 766, recorded today on the 9th of the 8th, 2023, where in the UK... You know, there is a bit of sun, but it's not been great, I must admit. We seem to have had, after that initial beast of beast of a few weeks in June, it's just been rubbish, uh, which I know this isn't a weather podcast. It's actually music technology podcast, but, you know, it's nice to see a bit of weather in the summer when you can have it. But anyway, it's all over the place. Uh, so, first of all, I want to say thank you very much to our friends in the IRC. A uh, particular shout-out to Wagyu, who's, uh, as ever, doing a great job of moderating and also... Um, keeping the uh, the machinery working behind the scenes that allows us to have the uh, the cross posting from IRC YouTube and Discord Actually, I should probably do this. I haven't plugged the Discord for ages. Discord, if you want to join our Discord, uh, bit.ly slash Sonic Discord, I realise I haven't been saying... I've seen it's a little bit quiet because I haven't actually invited anybody probably for several months. <laughs> so that's probably why. So if you want to join us there, please do. It's, all, it's jolly good fun. There's all sorts of things. In fact, there's a great thread there. We did a mid-journey um, bot, which uh, and Steve Elbows has just been posting tons and tons of really sort of weird uh, but quite impressive uh, synth uh, stuff with Hieronymus Bosch influences, puppets, balloons, nuns, all kind of stuff. So if you want to see that, check it out, uh, but also have a go because you could just describe it and it'll do it for yourself. Uh, incidentally, what we're going to do is make a collection of some of the those pieces of art and hopefully we'll bring them in as a slideshow in our upcoming Sonic Emom, which is, as I say, uh, let me see if I can find it. I think if I press this button here, it'll probably post the fact that that is all, oh, yeah, coming up. That's probably not it. Let me see if I can find it. I think it's, ah, there we go. That's it, Emon Dates. So, yeah, please do join us. Uh, Bitly Sonic Emon 3. Uh, we've got seven live acts. Uh, it's going to be really good. We've got uh, Boo, B Battery Operated Orchestra, Finley Shakespeare, which is a real coup. I was listening to some of his stuff earlier. Really good. As well as five other really good acts, uh, which I will be posting gradually on uh, on Facebook and various others, so you can check them out. But uh, do join us in person. Uh, it's Friday, September the 8th uh, in Bath. Obviously, there will be a live stream as well, but if you can make it, please do come along. It makes the vibe in the room all that much better. Right, okay, so on to our guests. Look who it is, it's Mr. Steve Hillier uh, from uh, songwriting, DJing, or uh, Dubstar, all kinds of stuff. How are you doing, Steve? Uh, hi, Nick. Yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm very pleased to be back. I've been uh, been out of the country for a while, and um, I'm just looking at the video feed actually on the screen here, and I've realised that I've got the same problem in my new studio as I had in the old one, which is that <laughs> all the daylight is great, but it looks it's like a godlike, sort of, um, yeah, <laughs> godlike or, or Oppenheimer-like. It depends depends on your mood. And I was I was just thinking, I was preparing this room for this show earlier, and I, and I was thinking, well, I don't know what I'm going to do about this, but I remember that in this old house where we moved in, in the loft, there were blackouts uh, from World War II. It's, the house is that old. For every uh, window in the front of this house, not in the back, but and also, unfortunately, not for this room. So uh, maybe we should, should have moved. But it was a fascinating thing to find something from yeah. World War II in your new home. I yeah, imagine. There we go. So I've been, I've been good, thanks. So, oh, excellent. So, uh, you've been, so you've been in Europe, I guess. Were you in the sort of, in the, the furnace? Because uh, it's been very, very hot there. Did you have... Uh, did Almost. You survive? Um, well, I was working down in Spain and then in uh, Germany, in the sort of East Germany near uh, Dresden. And so I, I missed 
the, the very worst of it. But then um, the, the, the final night that I did out in that part of the world was in Prague. Got into Prague and it was something like 37 degrees. And, and this was sort of late afternoon in the shade. So that was, that was really horrible. But what made it worse, and I didn't realize that this is uh, apparently a regular thing in Prague now, um, but there was a, a shortage of water. The water mains oh, were shut off in Prague. So turn up. Uh, I, I don't mind admitting from Germany, slightly hungover, trying to get your act together in sweltering heat and no water. It's, it's not much fun. But to be fair, I'm not comparing that to what's been going on in Italy and now Portugal. It was uh, it's, it's, uh, just your own little taste of, uh, yeah, yeah, well. Yeah, just the taste. Well, there's always uh, salt and vinegar crisps and Coca-Cola when you have a hangover. That sometimes helps, you know. I mean, depends whether you go that way or not. Or bananas, I'm told, are very good too. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody has their own way of getting over it. Anyway, lovely to have you, Steve. And uh, we also have Mr. Gaz Williams, who's there in his uh, Bristol studio, uh, where he's, uh, well, he's masterminding his str own streaming empire with uh, Gaz Williams' show and uh, bass playing, music technology. And you did a gig with uh, Steve Davis on the roof in Cardiff, how did that go? I'd meant to ask. Well, I did ask, but I didn't get an answer. So I'm hoping it didn't tip down the rain because it has been kind of no, like no, that, hasn't it? No, it was great. The weather was great. So we got to play on the rooftop. And uh, yeah, it was really good fun. Uh, it was a slightly different for me and Steve to be playing to just a sort of very regular punter kind of crowd. Well, I say regular punters, you know. People who weren't into modular. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so we went down a little different route than we've done before, which uh, which was um, where I was I was handling some more drums and Steve was doing pretty much everything else, uh, and that was quite good. It was quite cool because we haven't actually ever had those designated roles before, uh, right. so we sort of took it a little bit more sort of beaty, you know, for because uh, we were kind of given a headline slot, which was a little bit awkward in a way because we wanted to, you know, I don't know what we do is necessarily for that kind of role but uh, no but we did it we it was good actually it was good and we um and so i'm i was giving him a clock and that was the only thing that we had in in common was just a single clock so i was in control of tempos and then we had four tempos that we decided on ah, and okay. then essentially it was just navigating through the different tempos um and uh, yeah it was really fun and uh, definitely want to do more but uh i think the next time maybe just change up the roles a little bit but i think uh I've enjoyed not having roles with the stuff I've been doing with Steve, but this time, as I say, just as a bit of a compromise of doing that. Um, but there is something I'd like, <clears throat> that I would like to mention that's not connected to that just before we get going. It's just something that I've, um, I'm finding fascinating, and I think it might be quite interesting for some, uh, for, for some of you out, out there, which is um, there's a thing that happens called Mix Challenge, and it's, uh, the website is mix-challenge.com. And this month's Mix Challenge is actually a song of uh, mine, or rather my band Rocket Goldstar. And it's a song that we used for the, uh, the, uh, the Sonic State review for the Steinberg AXR4 interface. Um, oh, okay. And so we re-recorded a song uh, for that review. So I've used the stems um, from that mix uh, and have, su uh, have supplied them for this mix challenge. And it's quite fascinating. Uh, I'm very close to that song. I sing lead vocals on it, and I also sort of mixed it as well. So to get other people's um, version of the mix, uh, find quite interesting. Also, part, um, 
part of taking part in this challenge uh, stipulates that you you meant to give uh, kind of a little report about what you've done to the mix in terms of what plugins you've used and and the like. I should mention that it's running until the well first the first round. It goes through various tiers of rounds and. Um, people get eliminated as it goes through it's like a, as a competition i think there's some prizes uh, some plugins prizes and stuff um but uh 21st of august would be the date for the first submission final oh, right okay so round. get cracking yes. get cracking but uh, mixed-challenge.com is the website yeah i posted that and i think it's gone into the comments oh thank saying. you i was just yeah. i was just reflecting on what it would be like when you when you were talking earlier about the whole concept of sort of being in the headline slot and playing to a more mainstream audience did you have that kind of like what what would people come up and ask you to play if they weren't <laughs> totally on board with it? and i just thought that it had to be snooker loopy nuts are we really but uh, I, I wonder did you get any of that <laughs> and it has been suggested at times oh but um yeah it's a million million billion miles away from that um but just wanted to finish off on about that mixed challenge though just because uh, from a what what's quite interesting to me is when i see how other people approach mixing i am my 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 own strategy is is to use as little signal processing as right. i can but i do use lots of like volume automation so i'll i'd sooner use some volume automation than a compressor if the if you're using the compressor just to kind of get certain elements up front um but i think there's been nine submissions nine different mixes that have already been uploaded so far and i'm just sort of uh i find it qu quite amusing to see how many plugins yeah. people are using so uh, just so, out of curiosity is it is it a mix challenge rather than a remix challenge so it's not yes. like kind of adding drums and beats and it's no. just a different take on the mix of it at mixchallenge.com they do other challenges they do like mastering challenges and indeed remix challenges uh and i'd love this one actually to be remixed but no this is a strictly a mix challenge so what you have to do is take those stems and it's trying to simulate a, a or give people an experience of what like a professional mix situation could in fact be uh where there's a specific requirement of the client and uh and right. i think they use the demo as uh, or the the mix rather that i'd done as a um as a kind of guide uh but surely so think, for that to work you have to give them some very poorly recorded drums stuff that uh, needs fixing the sort of thing that, how on earth do you get it to sound good from this nonsense you know i mean I, i'm not saying that's what you would normally do but that's generally a kind of what might happen some, in a mix where Yes, yeah, some of the previous mix challenges, I think, have been more challenging in that way. Where the, um, I think this particular one, everything's recorded to a pretty high standard. Uh, yeah, no, I realise that. But, but I think what what makes this particular mix challenge a little different from some of the previous ones is is, is that the song is a multi part epic, so with a kind of almost like a, a narrative thread through it. So, in order to uh, mix it accurately, is to kind of get into that narrative and uh so i'm as i'm like assessing the mixes and i think i'm going to be involved in the the, the judging side of it you know i i'm you know again as i say i'm very very close to the song but um you know what i'm what i'm interested in is which mix kind of delivers that narrative the best mm. really you know so yeah so it's interesting yeah, interesting interesting yeah not too late if anyone wants to take part okay if mix not, challenge just... mix-challenge.com 
go ahead or don't yeah. or you know Thanks. but yeah yeah that i think it's interesting interesting, interesting yeah thing. definitely hmm. yeah I, I suppose yeah i haven't um I'm trying to think the last time I mix. I mean, I my personally, me mixing, I, I find quite challenging or have done, but I think it's primarily because I've just had such rubbish speakers for such a long time or a poor listening environment that I couldn't trust. I'd like to try because I bought some new... Um, I, I, told, I spoke about it before. I bought those little IK multimedia MTMs, the desktop ones, and it it's such a drastic improvement to what I had previously. Uh, even though they were sort of reasonably good quality Genelex, they just weren't... The environment that they're in is not, you know, they needed to be in a better treated environment. These sound much more useful in the environment that I currently have, which isn't a treated environment. So uh, I'd be interested to see. I mean, I don't profess I would be able to do a good job, but I'm, it sounds like good fun anyway. So, um, yeah, excellent. Well, I'm glad you're busy. Are you streaming tonight, Gaz? Yeah, why not? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, I wasn't planning to, but since you asked, I will. Yeah. Well, this is a question from <laughs> Di Stanton, uh, who uh, who mm. said, uh, "Is Gaz streaming? Is Gaz live tonight?" Which is very kind of him, but it didn't show up until today, which was a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago. So I asked the question. He gets the plug. Everybody's happy. <laughs> so you know, hopefully that's all fine. Anyway, well, let's crack on. We do have some topics, though. Again, it's that sort of slightly bereft time of uh, of the year. I should point out. Yes, did I say about our EMOM? You should definitely check that out. Um, that's coming along soon so do bu do buy some tickets I, 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 unfortunately reviews are a little bit thin on the ground because i broke my wrist and i can't really play keyboards or indeed it's quite hard to mouse because i need to you know with the mouse you need to bend your wrist up a little bit like that and i can't do that in this cast so i'm a sort of i'm, I'm sort of a bit um yeah i'm a bit challenged in that department uh, which is a shame uh, anyway let's get on to, we did find i did find some topics um let's start with this one because it's kind of interesting i'll play a little bit because I expect we'll get busted for it because we always do whenever I play other people's videos. This is more um, than twenty-three thousand. The tech songs behind Shazam. Every minute in the world. This is a Wall Street uh, Journal video. How does it video. identify the music around you after recording just seconds of this audio? This is quite interesting uh, because of the way Shazam they do it. Shazam has to create so will... a unique audio fingerprint of what you're hearing and then search its database for a matching fingerprint. That means simplifying sound to a bunch of data that can be processed incredibly fast. Right, I'll leave it there because they then go on to explain. But the thing that was really, because Shazam's been around for a while. I remember when you used to ring it up and, you know, hold your phone up and it would work. But I did what I didn't realise was that it was collecting all this, just basically taking spectrographs. I guess it would have to be the entire song. And then there would be key points between sort of energy levels and timing peaks in between things. And it would just store those data points like plots in a graph rather than the entire spectrograph and then look for those similarities in what because you might be playing any part of that song when you do the Shazam. And I just thought it was really fascinating. And it opens up a whole world of new stuff because, I mean, as we know, Apple bought Shazam. And so they made all of their digital catalogue, which is hundreds, well, I don't know, millions of, of songs available and can all be Shazammed as well. So I just thought it was really interesting, just that general technology. I know, uh, Steve, last time we spoke to you, uh, you were exploring the idea of AI and machine learning and things, you know, that you could use mm. in your sort of day-to-day -day work. And this sort of is, is quite an early example of that whole thing, which is, I guess, pattern matching rather than, it's sort of algorithmic search, I suppose, uh, but it's quite an interesting idea. Yeah, it's absolutely extraordinary, and I, and I would recommend everybody uh, to watch this video because, especially if you're, you know, interested in computers and that kind of thing, because the 
uh, approach is extraordinarily clever, especially when you consider that it's, they mentioned in the video that this approach has been around now for what, 20 years, and with some refinements along the way, but essentially, they got the approach correct, right from, you know, uh, pretty much the get go. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, I use Shazam a lot uh, in my DJ work, because as you can imagine, if you're, you're traveling around a lot, or you're just out and about at gigs and that kind of thing, you're inevitably going to be hearing music that you don't know. So just tag it in Shazam, and you've got a record of the record, so to speak, which you can then incorporate into your own work uh, you know, somewhere down the line. So that's been really uh, useful for me. One thing that I saw, I, I was reading about a few weeks ago, and unfortunately I couldn't find the original article, um, but it, it's a new version of this kind of uh, music recognition software. It's AI-driven, that kind of thing. But it actually can spot components within a song, which really interested me and kind of got me a little bit scared, right? Because with Shazam, it, when you Shazam a song, it gives you one answer, doesn't it? It tells you the name of the song and it gives you the artist. So that's great. You can add it to your Spotify or Apple playlist. Brilliant. But this other AI, um, it was able to spot components within a mix that may have been from somewhere else. So, for example, everybody out there remembers... Exactly. If you remember the early 90s, um, there were a lot of tiny little bits from other people's records that were ending up in very, very successful mixes that were probably never identified or maybe it wasn't worth pursuing back in the day. But Yikes. what the uh, makers of this AI were saying was that they could actually identify these uh, you know, even if you're just using like a, you know, a second, a couple of seconds of a drum loop or whatever it is, and uh, and give a sort of positive uh, result from essentially what we would call shazamming that tune. So that got me scared. Um, but then I spoke to. Are my, they, uh, are they the thinking of applying about... it retrospectively? <laughs> 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 well, Yikes. you know, I I don't know. I don't think I don't think the intention of this was to uh, to cause trouble for all of us '90s musicians. I think it was more just demonstrating the. Uh, the accuracy and the ability mm. to spot just tiny, tiny snippets uh, with within a mix. Um, but that'll be fascinating once I can remember what AI that actually was. Um, it, it, it wasn't the, the Google one. It was a, a, a slightly different one. But, uh, yeah, fascinating times for music recognition. And, of course, it's absolutely brilliant for music discovery. You know, it's um, I, I've been uh, privileged enough to stay in some rather nice places when I was touring around in Europe and just hearing um, what DJs are playing from Eastern Europe or, in one case, from uh, North Africa – and and then having that now in my record collection because of technology mm. like Shazam, I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it, Gaz? I mean, I, I don't know. It feels like it could be used for good. I mean, because, you know, we've been, there's been a long time coming that we've been trying to figure out a way to sort of attach the metadata. One one part of this, they were interviewing the CEO, I forget the guy's name, but he said right at the beginning, they literally, they said they hired a load of teenagers to type, yeah. manually type in the metadata for all of this stuff. But this is actually brings up a more interesting point. I mean, I imagine the Apple stuff is doing a slightly better job if it exists of that metadata but i mean that's th this is something that could be useful in terms of oh yeah gaz william played bass on that record um you know he needs to get 20 pence for that uh 
sort of <laughs> th- you know maybe he w- whatever you know these things are possibly more useful you know would be other useful uh, ways of it and i imagine the youtube copyright algorithm is probably doing something very similar i would have thought Mm, yeah definitely it's uh, yeah i mean it, this makes a lot of sense this little video i think one of the one of the things that really surprised me though is that uh, shazam has been around since 2002 and how you originally had to do it was you'd have to phone this number hold up your phone whilst when they answered it play it and then they would text you what it was yeah, <laughs> yeah so that's how it originally worked which i which i thought was quite antiquated and funny considering quite quaint isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah i mean it's a it's an interesting one it's sort of it's been with us for such a long time now we don't it's like a verb it, isn't it <laughs> yeah to shazam it absolutely is um i'm always a bit cautious so sometimes i like a guilty shazam like i really don't like the song that's playing but i gotta know what it is and then i'm already conscious <laughs> that if i shazam it, it's gonna be yeah. my you know, my yeah. playlist. Gaz likes this. <laughs> <laughs> we noticed you love yeah. this kind of music. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, we play a game at home where we just, um, me and my wife, where we just, uh, we do, a, we count down and then we shout a word and the other one shouts another word. We, we say, hey, hey, Bibby, oh, you know, the name. Hey, the smart mentioned. speaker, yes. Hey, smart speaker, play, say one word and then they say the other word. And then see what you get. And, you know, more often than not, it's really poor rap that you get <laughs> the result. <laughs> um, but sometimes, uh, sometimes it comes up with something quite good. Um, like yeah, uh, a few days ago, we had, uh, was it the psychedelic porn crumpets came up uh, wow. as a result? Wow. <laughs> And the song was really good. So, uh, but it's just a silly little game and totally off topic. Sorry. Um, that's, no, that's. A, I, I think that's a, that sounds like a really good party game um, for for two at very least. Yeah. <laughs> party, that sounds yeah. like fun. That, yeah. I, well, I only because I think that's the thing. I mean, I used to do that with uh, my Amazon speaker, but ever since I don't know what happened. I'm sure when I was paying for Prime, I got Amazon Music, and now suddenly I'm not getting Amazon Music, and I'm not allowed to get play any music i want i have to pay something extra on top of that to get amazon which i think is pretty poor actually, yeah but, uh, you know i think that that's the way they get you nick but um one thing i wanted to mention about shazam which i don't know whether this is wide widely known but it was something that i used a little bit a, a while ago now but you um you can actually go to shazam and you can buy or uh, have access to the data of where your songs are being shazammed oh and right when. okay interesting well, and of course this is actually where they uh, was a huge revenue driver for the company is my understanding and you can see this is incredibly valuable if you've got a if you're launching a new let's say what do you say pop artist and um you want them to tour in the states but you don't have the budget to do the whole states because you know who does these days um but you can see oh this tune is blowing up in uh, portland and it's uh, going down really well in seattle um not so much in la but they're loving it in san francisco now you can do a west coast tour based on shazam data oh, okay. and interesting it was absolutely uh, invaluable uh, at least when i presumably the, it must be the same for spotify as well isn't it because they they map the kind of where people mm. drop in and out and it's it, it's a very disturbing set of uh, circumstances isn't it because they count a play and then actually what a play is is intro that's why um the 
everything gets front loaded because people only listen for sort of 30 seconds generally speaking so you put the whole thing in and then suddenly right okay i'll listen to the rest of the song even though you, it's like the trailer for the film isn't it you see if you see all the beasts and the monsters and the surprises in the trailer you think well there's not really much point in watching that because i've seen all the surprises so yeah I, it's the same sort of effect but yeah v very valid point interesting stuff Right. Um, okay. What's next? Let's see. Um, I'm just trying to see what other what other. Oh yeah, this th this is very much because we're in the summer. This is very. It feels like it's very much a kind of a time for um, uh, those those perennial evergreen topics rather than. Uh, stuff that's actually in the news at the moment because there is no news frankly very little news anyway or at least there is some news but it's from a company i really don't feel like supporting at the moment so i'm not going to uh, and uh, uh so let's just uh let's do this one so yeah this is uh i, I was searching reddit actually some reddit this is on reddit synthesizers uh this is the best free gifted item that you have and this was from uh, uh mash taters this was gifted by a friend i think that looks like uh one of those moog uh moog radio shack um products i can't yeah. i can't remember exactly which MG1. one it is uh, that mg1 okay good shout there and i wonder whether or not this is um something that you've had i'm i'm i'm, I'm gonna go first because i was thinking about i was thinking what have i actually been getting and, and i do remember when we when we first had some uh, modicum success uh there was a chap uh in Right. Um, okay. What's next? Let's see. Um, I'm just trying to see what other what other. T oh yeah, this th this is very much because we're in the summer. This is very. It feels like it's very much a kind of a time for um, uh, those th those perennial evergreen topics rather than. Uh, stuff that's actually in the news at the moment because there is no news frankly very little news anyway or at least there is some news but it's from a company i really don't feel like supporting at the moment so i'm not going to uh, and uh, uh so let's just uh let's do this one so yeah this is uh I, I was searching reddit actually some reddit this is on reddit synthesizers uh this is the best free gifted item that you have and this was from uh, uh mash taters this was gifted by a friend i think that looks like uh one of those moog uh moog radio shack um products i can't yeah. i can't remember exactly which MG1. one it is uh, that mg1 okay good shout there and i wonder whether or not this is um something that you've had i'm i'm i'm, I'm gonna go first because i was thinking about i was thinking what have i actually been getting and, and i do remember when we when we first had some uh, modicum success uh there was a chap uh, in bath who's a children's author and he was you know he was quite well off and he just really liked hanging out with us and the the sort of scene we were doing which was sort of clubs and remixes and stuff and he gave me his yamaha a yamaha cs15 so i've got to wow. say that's probably my best one i have had to had it fixed i know kent spong had a look at it but i thought i would go there first i know gaz i'm sure you must have been and i, I mean this, this isn't necessarily the sort of the freebie because you are who you are this is just a sort of random act of kindness perhaps i don't know have you got anything that uh, that that you've that you'd well, like to put forward i think it has to be my first bass guitar really given to me by uh, a school teacher um, mr jeff griffiths uh, so Jeff, thank you so much. That was a it was a K precision bass copy with a missing tuner, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I that was about as most influential thing as I've probably ever had in life in in many ways because that set me off on a on a bassy sort yeah. of path, which has defined my entire life really. So um, yeah, I mean. That, that that i can't think of anything that was more significant to me than that so i probably yeah i'll choose that i think that's a great what a yeah that's good well it's got a good sort of a good 
a good kind of uh, fairy tale element to it as well. So we always like those. Uh, Steve, how about you? Uh, I've got a similar story to Gaz, actually, in the in the early 90s, I was doing some stuff at a recording studio in a place called Wall's End in Newcastle. And I was given, I, I can't remember why, and I don't remember who it was who gave it to me, but they gave me an Atari ST 1024 with a black and white monitor. And I didn't know what I would use this for, but I thought, you know, it's free stuff. Give it to me. Um, my only experience of an Atari prior to this had been the old 8-bit consoles, you know, with the cartridges, with Space Invader and that kind of thing from 10 years earlier. So I was initially a bit disappointed that this was, first of all, it's a monochrome screen. But then I, I realised, hang on, there's MIDI sockets around the side. And I remember spending uh, a week, or maybe thereabouts, trying to get something to come out of the MIDI sockets and not realising, oh, you'd have to have some specialised software for that. Anyway, so I got hold of Cubase in the way that people got hold of Cubase in the early 90s, and that started me off, and really on the path that's taken me all the way to now, it was um, the Atari ST with Cubase and putting together sequences in those days, no audio, just MIDI, um, in a computer. And it was revolutionary because prior for me, because prior to that, I'd been putting everything together in a Roland W30 sampler sequencer, Ah, which was great fun. As many people were, yeah. Many people were using that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was so clunky and buggy. Um, Go to the Atari and do the sequencing on that. One of the things that I noticed immediately was that the timing on the Atari was just so much better. It had that really solid sound that you can still hear in records from, you know, really from the 90s until the very late 90s where things started to uh, be put in the box, so to speak. So, yeah, so that was that was the thing, that was the gift to me that uh, led me to, to where we are now. So thank you very much, Neat Records, and I'm so sorry you could never release all those recordings you made with Sting, but there you go. Ah. <laughs> Well, that's yeah, great, excellent. Well, I, I thought that we would get some tales out of this, so thank you very much. At least it wasn't a tumbleweed moment as well. So, uh, <laughs> as I say, summer is summer is summer is a coming. Summer is a here. Apparently, I'm not sure it was, but mm. uh, thanks, Mash Taters, for that uh, Reddit. I'm gonna I'm gonna I've, I've started putting lists together of uh, Reddit communities just in case we end up in a situation where there's very little else. I did actually completely overlook one of the topics, which is completely not anything to do with uh, um, well, which it falls in the pocket of current news so i should probably play that now and this is this is this one and uh the, i did a fun friday with it because i missed the deadline because i couldn't do a review because of my broken wrist which you can see in the i just put some loops together and this is the new ik uh multimedia uno synth pro x which is kind of the uno synth pro but with some knobs on uh, and a few other things it's got an extra lfo uh, sorry an extra envelope uh some additional modes they've tweaked the um what have they tweaked? They've tweaked the effects algorithms a little bit as well. And uh, yeah, you watch that one. But so that's that's new. It's out, it's around about 510-ish, which does seem kind of... I don't know. I think it's a little bit more than the original desktop because I remember the Pro, Unisynth Pro... Uh, was it the Unisynth? Yeah, the Unisynth Pro was was really, a really reasonably priced. And I thought it was an absolute bug because the Pro, even though it didn't have a great UI, 
the some of the sounds and it, this applies to the same thing you know this some of the sounds here are really nice and because you've got dedicated controls it makes uh it makes it all a bit more immediate but somehow there's something about the fact that now you can get all the parameters the sounds feel sort of slightly less deserved because it's too easy <laughs> it's easier to find <laughs> i don't know whether i'm being just kind of but um yeah there's it, it's an interesting synth because a lot of the presets don't i mean while they're good they don't give away there's lots of little nooks and crannies and corners and just little points between filters which are really quite unique to this instrument and you know yeah it's still got the same oscillator wave bleed and a couple of other sort of issues but it's it, it's definitely got something about it i don't know uh, steve did you ever get a chance to play with one of these because it's, uh, it's no possibly, I, no i'm afraid didn't. not uh, no, no no but i did um i am certainly interested in this unit uh it, it might be precisely uh what i need for live which might be something we'll talk about a little bit later what intrigues me particularly about this synth is the dual filter configuration where mm. you've got where you can have one as a uh, high pass filter resonant filter that's key and and uh one as a low pass filter much like my ms20 over there um one of the things th that you can do if you're especially tweaking a live situation is that if you um, have one filter set to high pass, one set to low pass, both of them, you know, pretty resonant, you can create uh, sort of moving vowel sounds, which are kind of difficult to, to do unless you've got a formant filter or something like that. But you can create some really uh, quite extraordinary sounds that way. And it reminded me a little bit of my old uh, Korg Prophecy, which was, again, a 90s thing. I'm sorry to talk so much about the 90s today, but it was a analog modeling synth for the 90s, and that had a, a particular preset that had dual filters, one high pass, one low pass, both resonant that you could open and close to create vowel sound. Right, um, okay, what's next? Let's see, um, I'm just trying to see what other, what other, oh yeah, this, th this is very much, because we're in the summer, this is very, it feels like it's very much a kind of, a time for um, uh, those, those perennial evergreen topics rather than uh, stuff that's actually in the news at the moment because there is no news frankly very little news anyway or at least there is some news but it's from a company i really don't feel like supporting at the moment so i'm not going to uh, and uh, uh so let's just uh let's do this one so yeah this is uh i, I was searching reddit actually some reddit this is on reddit synthesizers uh this is the best free gifted item that you have and this was from uh, uh mash taters this was gifted by a friend i think that looks like uh one of those moog uh moog radio shack um products i can't yeah. i can't remember exactly which MG1. one it is uh, that mg1 okay good shout there and i wonder whether or not this is um something that you've had i'm i'm i'm, I'm gonna go first because i was thinking about i was thinking what have i actually been getting and, and i do remember when we when we first had some uh, modicum success uh there was a chap uh, in bath who's a children's author and he was you know he was quite well off and he just really liked hanging out with us and the the sort of scene we were doing which was sort of clubs and remixes and stuff and he gave me his yamaha a yamaha cs15 so i've got to say wow. that's probably my best one i have had to have it fixed i know kent spong had a look at it but i thought i would go there first i know gaz i'm sure you must have been and i, I mean this, this isn't necessarily the sort of the freebie because you are who you are this is just sort of random act of kindness perhaps i don't know have you got anything that uh, that that you've that you'd well, like to put forward um I think it has to be my first bass guitar, really, given to me by uh, a school teacher, um, Mr. Jeff Griffiths. Uh, so, Jeff, thank you so much. That was a, it was a K precision bass copy with a missing tuner. 
And uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I, that was about as most influential thing as I've probably ever had in life in, in many ways, because that set me off on a, on a basic yeah. path, which has defined my entire life, really. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that I can't think of anything that was more significant to me than that. So I probably, yeah, I'll choose that, I think. That's a great. What a yeah, that's good. Well, it's got a good sort of a good a good kind of uh, fairy tale element to it as well. So we always like those. Uh, Steve, how about you? Uh, I've got a similar story to Gaz actually. In the in the early nineties, I was doing some stuff at a recording studio in a place called Walls End in Newcastle, and I was given I, I can't remember why, and I don't remember who it was who gave it to me, but they gave me an Atari. ST 1024 Oof. with a black and white monitor. And I didn't know what I would use this for, but I thought, you know, it's free stuff. Give it to me. Um, my only experience of an Atari prior to this had been the old 8-bit consoles, you know, with the cartridges, with Space Invader and that kind of thing from 10 years earlier. So I was initially a bit disappointed that this was, first of all, it's a monochrome screen. But then I, I realized, hang on, there's MIDI sockets around the side. And I remember spending uh, a week, or maybe thereabouts, trying to get something to come out of the MIDI sockets, not realizing, oh, you'd have to have some specialized software for that. Anyway, so I got hold of Cubase in the way that people got hold of Cubase in the early 90s. Hmm. And that started me off, and really on the path that's taken me all the way to now, it was... Um, the Atari ST with Cubase and putting together sequences in those days, no audio, just MIDI, um, in a computer. And it was revolutionary because prior for me, because prior to that, I'd been putting everything together in a Roland W30 sampler yeah. sequencer, ah, which right. was great fun. As many people right. were, yeah. Many people were using that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was so clunky and buggy. Um go to the Atari and do the sequencing on that. W one of the things that I noticed immediately was that the timing on the Atari was just so much better. It had that really solid sound that you can still hear in records from, you know, really from the 90s until the very late 90s where things started to uh, be put in the box, so to speak. So, yeah, so that was that was the thing, that was the gift to me that... Uh, led me to, to where we are now. So thank you very much, Neat Records. And I'm so sorry you could never release all those recordings you made with Sting. But there you go. Ah. <laughs> well, that's yeah, great. Excellent. Well, I, I thought that we would get some tales out of this. So thank you very much. At least it wasn't a tumbleweed moment as well. So uh, <laughs> as I say, summer is, summer, is, summer is a coming. Summer is a here, apparently. I'm not sure it was. But mm. uh, thanks, Mash Taters, for that uh, Reddit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... I've, I've started putting lists together of uh, Reddit communities just in case we end up in a situation where there's very little else i did actually completely overlook one of the topics which is completely not anything to do with uh um well which it falls in the pocket of current news so i should probably play that now and this is this is this one and uh the, i did a fun friday with it because i missed the deadline because i couldn't do a review because of my broken wrist which you can see in the i just put some loops together and this is the new ik uh multimedia uno synth pro x which is kind of the Unisynth Pro, but with some knobs on, uh, and a few other things. It's got an extra LFO, uh, sorry, an extra envelope, uh, some uh, additional modes. They've tweaked the, um, what have they tweaked? They've tweaked the effects algorithms a little bit as well. 
And uh, yeah, you watch that one. But so that's that's new. It's out. It's around about five ten ish, which does seem kind of. I don't. Know, I think it's a little bit more than the original desktop because I remember the Pro Unisynth Pro. Uh, was it the Unisynth? Yeah, the Unisynth Pro was was really a really reasonably priced, and I thought it's an absolute bug because the Pro, even though it didn't have a great UI. Uh, the some of the sounds and it, this applies to the same thing. You know, this, some of the sounds here are really nice, and because you've got dedicated controls, it makes uh, it makes it all a bit more immediate. But somehow, there's something about the fact that now you can get all the parameters. The sounds feel sort of slightly less deserved because it's too easy. <laughs> it's easier to find. <laughs> I don't know whether I'm being just kind of, but um, yeah, there's it, it's an interesting synth because a lot of the presets don't. I mean, while they're good, they don't give away. There's lots of little nooks and crannies and corners and just little points between filters which are really quite unique to this instrument and you know yeah it's still got the same oscillator wave bleed and a couple of other sort of issues but it's it, it's definitely got something about it i don't know uh, steve did you ever get a chance to play with one of these because it's, uh, it's no possibly, I, no i'm afraid not uh, no, no no but i did um i am certainly interested in this unit uh, it, it might be precisely uh, what I need for live, which might be something we'll talk about a little bit later. What intrigues me particularly about this synth is the dual filter configuration, where mm. you've got where you can have one as a uh, high pass filter, resonant filter, that's key, and and uh, one as a low pass filter, much like my MS twenty over there. Um, one of the things that you can do. If you're especially tweaking a live situation, is that if you um, have one filter set to high pass, one set to low pass, both of them, you know, pretty resonant, you can create uh, sort of moving vowel sounds, which are kind of difficult to to do unless you've got a format filter or something like that. But you can create some really uh, quite extraordinary sounds that way, and it reminded me a little bit of my old uh, Korg Prophecy, which was, again, a 90s thing. I'm sorry to talk so much about the 90s today, but it was a analog modeling synth for the 90s, and that had a, a particular preset that had dual filters, one high pass, one low pass, both resonant that you could open and close to create vowel sounds. And, and if this unit can do that, well, that's, that's certainly going to be a reason for me to purchase it. It does sound great I will, for videos. I will check, actually. I mean, the two filters are slightly different. There's the, 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 the second filter is more of a screaming... I don't know what the actual spec is, but the, the, the right-hand filter, I call it, is more of a screaming resonance, whereas the left-hand filter is a less so. And I don't know whether it's a two- or four-pole thing. I'll have to look into that. I am going to get around to reviewing certainly the new features of it. But I know, Gaz, I mean, again, I don't think you... I mean, it seems like a no-brainer for you. Little desktop synth with a lot of beef. It seems just... There must be room in your studio for something like this, right? <laughs> Ooh, there's no room left in here now. Um, but yeah, I, I, I came, I came really close to getting the uh, the the original Pro non X one because they were being really discounted, weren't they? I just saw in the comments, yeah. Inky Inky got one for 183, which That's a bargain. Know, bagging for sure um so of course you know at like around the 500 mark there's a lot more competition uh, and uh, i think did she mention um that's around the same price as the the, the roland sh4d which is a mm. kind of comparable form factor although quite a different uh quite a different lot more voices yeah yeah i mean and a full digital synth as opposed to an analog synth that we're dealing with here but form factor wise they've got some comparisons uh I do think it's quite interesting that sort of IK must have just kind of realized that that 
membrane way of interfacing no one really liked uh, and it was certainly the thing that put me off it because i thought the sound was great i just mm. the interface was was I don't, was, was the was the, the are you talking about the uno uno synth definitely had membrane well, i'm not sure the uno but not the Ah, okay. But I didn't and know the, if it was, And yeah. the keyboard. And incidentally, there isn't going to be, well, or there hasn't been announced as yet a keyboard version of this Pro X where there was a mm. keyboard version of the previous one. And I was thinking a keyboard version of this would actually be really nice. Um, however, uh, you know, I was kind of looking at this and thinking about it in terms of what you get for your money and... And certainly, if you compare it to Eurorack, you get an awful lot, you know, um, of a proper analog synth. And uh, there's some real heritage, isn't there, as well? In the um, was it Eric Nordlander? Was he involved in? No, like, yeah, he was a little bit. I mean, it's uh, Della. Um, it's Della, who's uh, Enrico Della. I can't remember his full name. Lovely guy. I think he Enrico. was involved in it as well. Enrico, yeah, Enrico. And I think the first one was just had a, it was surprisingly massive sounding, I think. But I agree. I yeah, mean, when you're getting into five, six hundred quid, you're talking about polyphony. This has got three voice para, not polyphony. And so you're talking, mm -hmm. you know, Minilog XD, yeah. you know, in that kind of world. Well, so you're really you know, are up against it a bit. But if, a few years ago, the, well, 10 years ago, maybe the analog nature of it would be a huge selling point. But we've been inundated with analog. Uh, over the last 10 years so that isn't such a kind of novelty now uh albeit you know uh, you know brilliant that it is but at the same time it's uh i think we're past that a little bit now aren't we i think market wise mm, maybe so anyway i wanted to put that out there i mean it's it's i, I will be having a look at it in uh, more uh, uh detail there was a comment that just came in via failed muso who was on last week uh unos didn't have membranes they were both capacitive touch surfaces apparently so i don't oh, know if it, it's the same thing so it's less <laughs> but yeah i mean it's still the same it feels yeah, kind of the same but i think i think membranes have a, a sort of a, a, a rather um, bad rep because they wear out yeah. and they don't. But I don't think this had that, as I, as I, as I said. So I, just, I, just to clear I mean, that up. From when I had a go, from when I had a go of it originally, yeah, it was, it was, it, it was something that didn't, didn't appeal to me. This one, way more appealing in that respect. But I mean, quite a big price hike though. So yeah mm. well Still, as everything is really everything kind of is i mean that's that's the thing i suppose but uh, yeah there's not a great deal of other change apart from more interface um so yeah well so i think the the desktop was around about three eight five four hundred pounds um previous you know to the the, the, the pro the, you know, so the pro so this one is a little bit more expensive but you know i guess things are more expensive to a degree Okay, right. Um, I guess Oops Live has got to be the next one, hasn't it, really? Because we've probably all got a story or two for this one. <laughs> I can see Steve clutching his face. Okay, here we go. This is a Rick James with a DX7. Don't know where the gig is. He changed patches and it was the wrong one. 
So, Oops Live, and I just thought this again is a, a great one I found on Reddit. Um, thanks very much to, uh, for that post. It's like one of those moments, isn't it? I mean, they handle it pretty well. It's just something about the fact that he's wearing a kind of uh, 80s leather balloon, balloon sleeve top that, and playing a DX7 that makes it all the more sort of funny somehow. But, uh, <laughs> but we've all been there, haven't we? I mean, there are always these moments where you're just going, oh my goodness. And I suppose the thing is, is that it's how you respond to these things. I mean, Steve, I'm going to come to you first because you look like you have maybe a traumatic memory to share with us. I'm not sure if that's the case. Oh, I mean, you've just done a load of gigs. Anything like that happened while you yeah. were on the road this time? Uh, yeah, I've been DJing around. And um, I, I, when I was um, preparing to come on today, I, I wrote, you know, just make a, little, a few notes. And I've got a list here. Right. Do I talk about the the sequencer speeding up and I couldn't stop it? Is there the, 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 the dub star story in Italy? I don't know. I, I think actually the the, 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 one, the story I want to, to mention, which I think is the most extraordinary story of all, is um, it's a DJing story. And uh, funnily enough, I've already mentioned a, a place called Wall's End. So Wall's End is a, a kind of sat a, a satellite town, maybe, or a suburb of Newcastle-upon-Tyne. And when I first moved up there, which was in the late 80s, I um, got involved with an agent up there for DJs, and he got me in a couple of clubs, a couple of pubs, but he wanted me to come and do a, a wedding that was in his hometown, which was Wall's End in a pub. So I didn't really know what to expect. What I didn't expect was to show up at this wedding in a room above a pub and the atmosphere to be like electric electric but not in a good way you had one family lined up one side of the pub and another family lined up the other side so immediately and i've actually been in situations where, where i've been djing and massive fights have kicked up i thought well, okay look what I'll, what I'll do here is i'll just put on some nice records or make it nice and back in those days i was doing a little bit of work on the microphone as well so you know i'll bring these people together and it'll be sweetness and light so set up the gear Everything's going pretty much okay, but of course, by this time, everyone's drinking a bit. Introduce the bride and groom, get them to do their first dance, and as they're dancing, you've got this huge uh, noise over the PA, and it was something like, Davey, Davey, uh, get down to uh, Shields Road, uh, we got, you've got to pick up in 10 minutes. It was basically, there was a cab uh, uh, office directly next door to the pub. And every time they were getting on to the mics, oh, no. it was coming out <laughs> my PA. So you, you can imagine I've got like nearly a hundred already angry Geordies now looking at me thinking, uh, you know, and I'm thinking, wow, You're they're going to turn it worse. It's going to ruin the night. What on earth do I do? Now, 30 years on, I wouldn't know what to do. But right then, all I could think of was just, well, maybe can I turn it down? Whatever. What actually rescued me in this situation, because throughout the night, the taxi drivers were coming through on the PA, was something was said, and there was a massive fight. 
windows are put out glasses i mean it was a, it was a terrible terrible situation but luckily being walls end the police actually showed up within minutes and the first place that they went to was the uh, taxi office which they immediately closed so i actually oh, had about five minutes of music that wasn't being interrupted by the taxi office before the police came in shut everything down and uh, sent everybody home so um <laughs> what i've learned from that is that um you have to be careful on a night out at Wall's End, especially 30 years ago. And uh, just watch out for huge radio transmitters when you're using unshielded PAs. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I've had that one. But that, yeah, because I, I can imagine. I mean, imagine if you got that in somewhere on a system, say, you know, Glastonbury scale, where it's like thousands of watts of, of, of taxi. <laughs> that, that would be, yeah. But I guess that's that's what they have systems engineers for. Gaz, I'm sure you have at least one, um, if not more. I, I, I mean, which you've probably already shared with us as well. But there are, yeah, there are some. Aren't yeah. There? yeah. <laughs> Oh, I have shared this one before, but it's too good. I think, if you don't mind, I might tell it again. I, um, but this one, in terms of something going wrong, is about as embarrassing as, as possible. Um, my band, Rocket Goldstar, we were the first band to prob you know, to ever do the silent disco thing. We're the inventors of it. And I say that with a certain amount of confidence because uh, certainly nothing like that had ever happened to our knowledge at the time, yeah, this was back in the year 2000, um, and we were using, Roland helped us actually, and they supplied us sort of newly released V drums and various bits and bobs to, and also arranged with Sennheiser to provide all of the headphones, which were all wired. And it was a, quite a logistic nightmare doing it. We had a hundred, uh, for an audience of a hundred. So the first, as far mm. as we were aware, it was the first proper concert carried out over, like a rock concert Head, carried headphones, out over yeah. headphones. Um, we are in the Wikipedia entry for Silent Disco for any of you who doubt my words. Well, Good who don't you. doubt the words of Wikipedia. Um, but, uh, I mean, now there's been other claims. There's various other things that have happened in the past. But I don't think anything quite as... Uh, complete as our as our first and we called it silent gig as opposed to silent disco uh and then the silent gig uh this is yeah um may the year, may in the year 2000 and um we'd signed a record deal recent uh you know fairly recent to that and we were looking at trying to come up with some ideas um for publicity and this one really caught the attention of a lot of media and we had a, a phenomenal turnout. So we were doing two shows. Uh, one was a press show and then one was a public show. So it was during the press show that my uh, blooper it happened. And, um, and basically, you know, there was, you know, this thing was a new idea. So everyone was kind of really unsure how it was going to go, not least us. Uh, Oh, so we opened the concert with this song. It's actually my band, Rocket Goldstar, was named after a song of ours called Rocket Goldstar. That's what came first. And we were playing the song Rocket Goldstar. And uh, it had this elongated intro that we, um, that we did just to try and really build up the atmosphere. And in that particular song, it all comes crashing in in the chorus with a big vocal and the drums and the bass all enter at the same time with this big, this big dramatic moment. And we'd sort of really milked this intro. Um, they were using that new RSS thing at the time, which uh, could oh, enable right. 
virtual panning in headphones. But the problem was that the, the band had exactly the same mix as the audience. You know, so you're trying to play as your part is being... um but uh so anyway we're building up to the big moment to the big you know this big moment when it all comes in like that and he goes this thing he goes rocket gold star and on the star is where it all comes in pow like that so i go rocket go and you know i'm quite animated when i play live i'm like and I just go and do this big stamp, step forward on that star and immediately stepped on the cable and pulled my headphones out, leaving me absolutely deaf at the critical moment. And it was like, you know, <laughs> if your lead comes out in a gig and you got the microphone, you can still do it. But in this case, this this was like, this captured the, you know, the, you know, it was just at that moment. And it was horrific because then, you know, I'm fumbling and trying to get the cable back in and so it's no good. And it's so embarrassing. It's so awful. It's like the worst, it was like the worst possible thing that could have happened. But, um, and I know that in your initial question in the, it was like, how do we get, you know, what do you do to recover from it? Um, In this particular case, it meant that we had to just stop the song have to stop the song and apologize get the headphones plugged back in and then start again and you know and the kind of the embarrassment and the you know all the confidence you build up for this big event and you know, it's been gone, covered yeah. by major news sources bbc and uh, i think enemy and melody maker there were a load of them there and uh I, I think, well, what happened, though, because of the clearly embarrassing situation and then starting again, something happens, and that's that the audience have some sympathy for you. And the weirdness of everyone being on headphones and in this kind of unusual situation, it actually, people, they come on side then. It's like they this, didn't speak this of it. human, this kind of human... Yeah incident then sort of humanized it maybe it was a little bit impersonal with the headphones on and then this happened i don't know i mean maybe i'm just kind of trying to spin it so it wasn't such a horrible disaster um but then it went really great after that and was you know and it was widely lauded as a quite you know as a groundbreaking event or whatever but just at the time it happened you know it was just about as worst thing yeah, i can i can imagine you know, that's yeah utter utter silence think, you know utter silence Ugh. this is <laughs> yeah just so this up. is problem, <laughs> this is problem for performers isn't there where you you make a mistake or something goes wrong and you have to determine in a split second do i pretend everything's fine or do i admit that this is clearly not right and kind of you know, it, it kind of accept that my trousers are down at this point, if you know what I mean. Mm. And I, I, yeah. I was remembering I, I had a, a gig uh, over in Bath, funny enough, uh, about a year ago. And I was uh, again DJing. And for some reason, I decided I, I have a laptop on a spare and I decided to use my spare at the last moment. And something to do with the controller and the laptop didn't work. So much like you guys were going on with your big moment first, big song, boom. <laughs> the pitch control had set to something like minus 50. So the song was playing um, 
at half speed, but it wasn't like half speed, like with vinyl where it would slow down in pitch. It was like time stretched. So the, <laughs> it, it just sounded absolutely bloody awful. Consequently, all I could do was slowly um, fade down the tune and have a quick chat with the audience. No mic or anything. It was about 500 people in the room just shouting, I suppose, just saying, yeah, this is terrible. It's all gone wrong. Bear with me a couple of minutes. And they did. And of course, when I was able to play again, everyone's on your side. It's like you've kind of yeah. shown that you're you're a person, mm. you know, with them yeah, in this yeah. room. And we're all in it together, really. Yeah. And uh, so it was a great night after all. Oh, that's <laughs> good. I'm trying to think. I mean, the only the only thing got for my personal is the first time I played live. Actually, when Gaz taught me into doing uh, um, our first sort of it was like an emom, I suppose. You know, all those years ago, back at the Salt Cafe, and I yeah, spent wow. ages preparing, and it was like this ridiculous amount of effort got into basically a 15 minute set, and it went on, you know. And I was practicing, and I did all these sort of things, and I had a Behringer XR18. I was trying to figure out how to make it all work with program changes and stuff, and I set myself up, and I was ready to go, and then none of the MIDI worked, and it was just like it was a delay of about 10 or 15 minutes and with a with a set when you've got all of these these you know you've got some quite we had some quite you know we were up against it time wise because you're doing so many things same with the emom you know we, we we try not to you know we've got a certain amount of leeway but after a point it's like we can't really hold up any longer uh, and but what was really bizarre is because it felt I thought because I, I thought that I would suffer quite badly from sort of stage fright and nerves, and I and I really didn't, and I haven't since, and I haven't, you know, done quite a lot of things recently which have required you know public speaking in difficult situations or whatever, and it, I get into this sort of weird zen-like state, and I just go, well, I'll just have to sort it out, and it'll be all right, you know, and it, and it was all right in the end, but it was, and I think it, you know, the, I could feel the audience in that situation sort of willing it to come together, and it sort of did, and it was all all right in the end, but. And I think that's part of the thing. As as we are musicians, or as we perform in any sphere, you know, some of us, some people rehearse and you know get it down and have everything prepared. Some people just leave it to chance. Some people, but I think if if you prepare, the more you've done it and the more prepared you are, kind of the better you are at dealing with it when it goes wrong because your entire being is not focused on you know. Oh my goodness, it's all gone totally wrong. You just kind of go. You have to just go. Well, maybe I can go this way instead. But you have to have a bit of experience to be able to pull on that, or be just very fortunate to be able to ad lib and do this. I mean, you you could do that, Gaz. I mean, I don't think, but I think that you know sometimes technology can let you down in such a massive way that there's no recovering. In that clip. Rick James was just about to play keyboards. It wasn't like the intro or the moment. It just sounded like he pressed on the wrong program and it sounded like a bell patch rather than a piano patch, which, you know, could have been worse. Could have been just yeah. solo voice and him at the beginning of the quiet bit of the show in a state. You know, there are things that you... But you could, like you say, if you if you involve the audience, go, hold on, let's do that again. That didn't work out, did it? And you can make light of it and people kind of go, oh, that's great, we were there for that. It makes it real. And I know, Gaz, you're very keen on live being live so in many ways it's a good it's an affirmation of that in a lot of, a lot of ways yeah definitely i mean you know i think that live thing uh when it it, it includes the sort of in it includes the things that go wrong it's really an important part of it you know a lot of these shows which are all super backing track kind of based I mean, and they've and they've got their redundancy systems. It's like like almost like nothing that can go wrong. I think it just makes for you know a less interesting, exciting event. Um, but yeah, it can. Do. It depends. A whole new. Topic. Depend. Yeah, mm. I think it it depends what you're 
what the purpose of the gig is, I suppose. But yeah, yeah. I, 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 I totally, totally with you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, right. Um, <laughs> I, I, oh, go, Steve. Sorry. I t- sorry, I was just going to mention something about uh, in terms of gigs going wrong. Something that didn't happen to me, but I, I witnessed, which I thought was it was funny and touching and kind of lovely. I saw Nick Kershaw uh, play a gig. And it was up in, again, up in Newcastle, a place called uh, Gateshead, actually, a place called Sage. And he was using uh, a looping pedal and an acoustic guitar for one tune. And it was one of the big songs. All the uh, people in the crowd were singing along. And he played into the looper. It was about halfway through, played in a new thing. And he got it wrong. And it was a brown note at the end of this little phrase that he was playing. And it just went round and round and round. <laughs> Forever and ever and, and ever. You- yeah, and you could see it. First, yeah, you could see that the the audience at first was sort of like, "This isn't how this song goes. What, what, what's this? Are we, are we doing jazz?" Um, but of course, by the end, you could see that Nick himself was well aware that this was completely terrible. But he struggled to the end, and of course, got a big cheer. And I think he he said something along the lines of, "Well, you know, the thing with loopers, if you get it wrong once." It's wrong all the way through. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be good? Now do that one next. Come on, Nick. It's a great feeling. I'm feeling sorry for the audience being repeatedly exposed to a brown note. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of quite awful, quite awful repercussions. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, anyway, that was, I, I, I just thought that's another one of those evergreen ones um what else have we got i I think maybe i won't go for the uh shouting at clouds pop music simplistic debate but i might just go for a quick uh world's longest electronic music set oh no that's not it that's this uh this is uh ryan zonefeld uh recently he at the karen mar festival he began his set at uh 12 49 p.m and ended on the stroke of midnight making it this the set 11 hours and 11 minutes long and he uh basically it was a it was a it was a Guinness World Record. There's a photo. See if I can find the photo. The photo is hilarious because basically it's. Uh, let me see if I can get that up there. There's a picture of him. Okay, oh, this is all rather. There's actually. Uh, let me see if I can find the article because there's a picture of the poor person for from him. Let's see if I can find it. This was uh, from EDM.com. Uh, let me find. There's a picture of the lady from. Um, this, that's him doing his thing, and then there's a picture of the poor lady who'd obviously been from the Guinness Book of Records, who had to. Let's see if I can make that any bigger. Who basically had to stay there for 11 hours and then hand him his certificate. But uh, apparently, EDM is quite big on uh, on on uh, breaking records in terms of longevity, long sets, and whatnot. I don't know. Is, is there? I mean. Which is interesting. I mean, we obviously, again, it brings me back to my ideal set length for Emon, which is 15 minutes, five acts coming. And don't forget to check us out on the 8th of September. But <laughs> what is the ideal length? I mean, because, you know, you can do, it's like films that are just 20 minutes too long. There is a sort of a natural point. I mean, one would hope that one would know when to go, when to drop it. You know, and, and that's one of the skills of building a live set, isn't it? Is you take it up and then you just go, right, that's it. We stop at the high point. We don't go, oh, no, actually, I'll play a few more. And then you sort of got to build that dynamic all over again. It's quite, I mean, I imagine that's quite difficult. I mean, you do lots of live sets. And I know um, uh, with uh, the various bands that you're in, you know, you, you do you decide on the day? I mean, do you sort of look at the venue and go, yeah, this is only a 20-minute set or this is, or what the, con-, you know, th- there's a skill to it. You don't want to go, too long because yeah you might uh, well, alienate you well funnily enough you know that was something very much on our minds on the gig that we did last friday you know trying to 
gauge how long we played for around 35 minutes i think in the end which isn't very long uh but was probably just right for that particular situation um so yeah it's a weird it is it is a weird one to try and gauge it um i play some weddings with one of the bands we do wedding gigs and you, and you have to be prepared with a wedding gig sometimes to play for another hour longer than what you're asked for just if circumstances and those kind of things go that way i just have to say though that back when we did that timing, oops that's wow that's excuse like, me something fell that was one of the oops that was one of the blackouts coming down sorry guys go on phew that's all right phew it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a it wasn't like a microphone crashed into a sledge or anything like that no <laughs> um so in back in that may 2000 and we did that silent gig on the first of may we actually played it we recorded our first single we have talked about this before but it was 12 hours long and we played that entirely for 12 hours so wow. 11 hours djing pff, try playing live instrumental in, instrument music singing creating songs making up verses and choruses on the fly for 12 hours yeah did, that uh... <laughs> Did the audience, were the audience still with you by the end or were they we had, still there? Um, it wasn't really audience as such. We had, we did have quite a few people in there. We had a, someone from the enemy, bless them, who was in there for quite a lot of it. Uh, <laughs> I think they couldn't quite take the entire time. Um, uh, and, but yeah. Uh, 12 hours, but, I mean, fair play to you. Yeah, so I'm thinking 11 hours of an EDM is like nothing. It's absolute piffle compared to what we did. So, yeah. <laughs> you could just have a really, really, really slow filter open that went for like three or four hours around a one-bar riff and then slow it down again and then closing it down again, Steve, and then, you know, you just end up with three or four hours done. <laughs> I just use Paul's, um, Paul's time stretch. Just, just Yeah, yeah, that's live. Single note a good for 12 point. hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, speaking as a fellow DJ, um, 11 hours, yeah, that's really easy. <laughs> that is not the same as making music. Um, uh, my, I, I, I've, I've recently done a lot of very long sets, and yeah, you're tired at the end of it, but you're only tired because you've kind of been on your feet and you've had to choose which record to put on and in which order. It's really not the same as making music. What do I think is the optimum length of a set? I think it's just too short, just slightly too short. Yeah. I think it's it's leaving the audience wishing that yeah. you've gone on. Uh, yeah. It's obviously not outstanding or welcome, but I think there's there's the fine balance between being just slightly too short and annoying people that they didn't get their money's worth. Um, but yes. yeah, I, I, I one of the my favourite gigs of all time, and it was just before the pandemic, was an um, American band called Cigarettes After Sex, which for some reason I always mm. mention on this podcast. And they played for exactly one hour, and they played two songs as on an encore, and it was perfect. And I think you know, for a paying act in a big London venue that I wouldn't want for any more. I don't want to be, um, you know, hanging around for two hours, having watched Taylor Swift on a, on a screen from half a mile away. That, that, that would, uh, that would disappoint me, but an hour in the shepherd's bush empire with a seat next to the bar. Perfect. Perfect. What's really interesting is it? Cause I mean, you know, bands who've only got one album 
or not even that yet, are going to struggle to do more than 35, 40 minutes unless they're going to do some covers and whatnot. And the same for, you know, I mean, unless they've got a lot of material that they haven't previously recorded, which is sometimes the case, but not always. And the same goes with, you know, any stuff. I mean, I suppose with modular things as well, the thing that's quite hard, I mean, it's quite hard to build a dynamic thing because you're limited yeah. to a degree by the patch you create. I mean, Colin Benders can do it, but, I mean, he plays regularly for hours and hours and hours, but he's a maniac. Oh. Well, something but that's I went quite to see, hard. I went to see Underworld uh, fairly recently, doing a warm-up show before they played at the Albert Hall, um, and something that they were doing really struck with me, and that was that they they create, like, a false ceiling of of like the maximum dynamic and they one of the things that underworld are masters for is taking their time to get you know they don't they take their time to build things so they build what you think is the you know the full intensity and then every so often it would go up and like another like another level of kick would happen and it would just seem like you know that that headroom that they've established, boom! They've they keep in a certain amount of it for these moments. But then you know, and unlike what a lot of DJs do, who typically and not not you, Steve, I'm no, but lots of, lots of DJs just cranking the whole you know cranking it into the red for the entire time. So like Underworld could do this thing. You know, and it felt like I don't know how many extra decibels they had on tap there, but it was so thrilling when they would use that. But they also had the wherewithal to not stay up there for very long and to sort of bring it Do back you... down and then reestablish that other, mm. you know, that, that level again. You know, so they've always got that little pocket that they can just dip into at times. And I don't think I've ever seen another electronic act kind of utilize that technique as beautifully as but that, that's i mean that's partly that's to do with the the amount of noise you can expose an audience to you're not i, I remember i was interviewing um i can't remember his name rob uh, the guy he does massive attack and he was he was saying the thing is that you what you have to do when you're playing these large venues you're only allowed to be at this level for a certain amount of time then you have to drop it down you have to save it up so it's a lot of it's also to do with the front of house engineer because there is like, okay, you reach, um, you know, 100 and, 103 dB, F, whatever it may be, and you can be there for 10 minutes and then you drop it down and then you're not allowed to go above that for another X number of minutes. So the construction of the set is quite often built around the cadence of what you're allowed to expose the audience to. And then at the end you have, you've saved it up. So then you've got like three minutes or a minute of really, really loud, but then you stop before you trigger any, any health and safety things. And it's, it's actually quite, it's quite an interesting shape that you have to do. And, and very often, you know, there are systems built into these PAs that will basically just turn you off. If you if you yeah. go too far, you're, you're yeah. history, you're, you're done. Cause the venue can be fined. People yeah. can sue you for hearing. I mean, it's just a crazy, I mean, you know, it's quite, a complicated thing not particularly if you're using like underworld do the full range and the full volume that they're allowed to achieve in any given venue i mean i imagine being their front of house there's a lot of that going on because in some venues you can probably go higher for a certain amount of time because of the the just the, the architectural shape of the building and others you can't you have to kind of start quiet and get to a point which 
seems loud in context but isn't all that loud you know so i, I think that stuff it's a fascinating thing that the, the way that they have to do all of that and it's all all the sit the the systems tech is now integrated into this digital control of the amplifiers you know so you there's no escape you can't blow it i mean well you can but if you do something bad might happen and you either get fined or the show will will prematurely stop so you've got to be very very careful with that stuff um but yeah interesting um okay well i i don't have an awful lot there was a question i think uh, actually what i will do is uh just i know we haven't done on very many user questions and i, I do apologize for that but uh i, I I'll, I'll just grab oh sorry steve did you want to just come in there for a second oh no no no, no. sorry nick no I, I was kind of uh, just saying i was sort of gesturing yeah go on <laughs> Ah, okay, right. I will do. I thought you had something to add. I do beg your pardon. So um, this is just a question, which is, you know, it's from Rapscallion via IRC. Uh, what's the uh, vetting process with the EMOM? Are you letting anyone with something to play play? Um, I will explain this because, you know, it, it, in, in true EMOM sense, what tends to happen is, you know, you would just open the venue, whoever turns up plays. We can't really do that because it costs us 450 quid to hire the venue. And if nobody turned up or they were all... Uh, um, you know, of a certain genre and it was just a bit, you know, samey or whatever, it would be very difficult. And also we're live streaming it. We want to make sure that we put on a show. What we're, the structure that we're doing is we have, I booked two headliners and then we, you can submit to be uh, a performer at the Sonic Emom. If you just go bit.ly slash Sonic Performer, there's a form you fill in, it's got all the information. Then you go into the spreadsheet, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's a list. And I will, as we go through, um, people who've played uh, uh, go back to the bottom of the list and then, you know, we try and get other people. And there are various factors in there. Sometimes, you know, we've been trying to get Martin Christie to play for a while. He's got to come from a long way away. He hasn't been available. So it changes the way that you, you know, you, you structure it. But I try and make it kind of not all... 90s acid or not all weird ambient stuff or whatever this one we've actually got uh um, in this instance uh uh jack uh monojack from uh bleep bloop um who is the guy who makes all the tape based uh, modules Brilliant. he's playing and he's the, that will be interesting it might be challenging but he's such a lovely guy <laughs> with great energy whatever he does i think people will just sort of embrace it but there's some really good stuff uh, as there has been for the other ones so there is it, it's just we can't leave it to chance on the night because there's you know what happens if loads of people turn, said they were going to turn up don't because of traffic or because of whatever you've really got to have a little bit of uh, a structure to it but I, I mean that this goes back to me being a bit of a prepper i need to have everything sort of line out also we shoot videos of uh, interview with people who um, are going to play so we can play those in the uh, intervals because that's to cover the, the gaps in the live stream that we're changing over the set and stuff for which keeps the live stream you know doing something interesting so there's all sorts of reasons why it can't be just that but we try and spread it out as much as possible so everybody of all all types and standards and you know experience get to have a go you know that's the idea anyway so i hope that answers that question I suppose that doesn't really. Uh, that, I can't really throw it to you guys either because um, you're not <laughs> you're not playing at it. But uh, you're more, more than welcome. I know, Gaz, uh, you'll be there, and hopefully, Fia is going to be doing some some visuals, and we've got some great plans mm. for that. So that's going to be really good. So yeah. I'm still plugging it because I'm trying to sell more tickets because uh, the ticket sales have been a bit slower than usual because I... we've not done one in the summer before because I think people are still away. I mean, it'll be fine. It'll be great. But. I'd urge people to consider coming though, because it is a really nice social event and just sort of, um, yeah, yeah, it's really good fun. And, it, and of course I, there is that thing as well with electronic music, when it's loud 
and nicely mixed. Uh, is Silas going to be doing the, the sound? Yeah. 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 So having a quality person manning the sound makes for quite a thrilling, you know, it's a, you can feel, you can feel the audio. You don't get that if you watch it as a stream, unless you watch it through a really big sound system. Uh, but I, I don't know. That's just, uh, that f- yeah, the, the yeah, physicality yeah. of being in the room. Is, is, is there is in an the in the room. room aspect to it. Yeah, I would totally yeah. agree. I'll just see if there's any other. Uh, um, uh, let's have a look. Uh, yeah, there's there's a few other. I'll save those QQ questions, but do keep them coming. Um, the yes, uh, we and we will get to them again. I, I think we'll probably do a show where we'll just catch up on those. I do apologise, they haven't been ongoing, but uh, that's just uh, the way it goes. And uh, die stand. Oh goodness me, die is uh, is. Absolutely uh, um, blinding it on the super chat. Thanks, Di. 20, 20 English pounds for, for shits and giggles. Well, I'm going to say it out loud for that. I'll risk the blue because it's very kind of you. Um, anyway, um, thanks, everybody, uh, for joining us. Thank you uh, uh, to the chats and the IRC and everybody. Thanks to Wagyu mm. in the, uh, for moderating and all those things. Uh, sorry for those who got a slight break in transmission while we moved from local to cloud. There was just a bit of a capacity issue, which we've now fixed. So hopefully that will all be all right. Steve, um, uh, are you in the country for a little while now or are you going to be uh off uh, i'm off to france uh i'm back off to i'm back, back off again back to uh north france back to Brittany uh next week which uh which i'm looking forward to uh, it's kind of in this time it's going to be like a combination of a holiday and uh, a little party in a city called ren which i haven't mm. been to in a very long time but that that should be kind of good um and then tonight off to uh, a town called lewis which is just next to brighton to watch junior mervyn and the whalers do their mm. reggae thing in in a venue that might as well be a scout hall it sounds exactly like my kind of thing so if you're in lewis oh, i'll see you there great. nice mm. that sounds great have a lovely evening and uh, gaz uh, did uh, did i ask you whether you, are you streaming tonight or are you uh, just Taking a break, yeah, no, I, I, I will stream. I will stream. I think uh, I've got an idea in front of me. I've got uh, the Dreadbox Nymphes and the uh, Arturia Keystep 37. And I was uh, messing around with that yesterday. So I think I'll probably do something along those kind of lines because the, the Nymphes is something that I've not really... I've not really delved too deeply in because um, having the... It's a bit modal. Yeah, it's a little bit well, modal. There's a, the, the, in yeah. terms of some of the shift functions are a little bit. Yeah, cryptic. that's the only thing I would I'm say. Getting, I'm getting my head around that, but absolutely is a little is a little bit of a <laughs> is a little bit of a drawback because I mean it is after all it is a very very small little thing here. Um, mm. But oh, it does sound good. It's really nice. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of curious as well about. Uh, um i like small travelable uh, travelable portable devices um and i've got a little bag i've shown that on my show that i take with me to parties and the like so i can just whip it out and annoy people uh <laughs> i think that there um, should be a sir mix a lot version of i like small synths and i cannot lie uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I think I'll probably look at something like that. I think I'll be looking at the Nymphers. I'm going to, um, uh, yeah, yeah, let's, let's do that. Okay. Let's, brilliant. Let's that sounds, that sounds like nice. That sounds really good. Yeah. Okay. I'm well, thank you very time. much folks. 
Well, I don't think it would be a waste of time, but thank you very much. Thanks to everybody in the chat room. Thanks to everybody for joining us. Uh, We'll see you next time. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Thanks to uh, UVI and also to Isotope uh, for sponsoring the show. See you next time. Take care. Bye-bye now.